Listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. And we've got a bit of a show for you today. We've got um, some segments on, uh, well, to start with, um, uh, Expressions Fest, which I think we mentioned last show, where I saw the double bill of um, the Phoenician women and missing. That'll be coming up later. Um, but ringing in right now is Gail Suderman from Good Noise. And let's see if we have her on. Gail, can, can, Hi there. can you hear us? Hey, yes, I can. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. You know, for once, for once technology seems to be on our side in the studio. So we're, we're, we're going smoothly. Oh, good. And um, now we've, we've talked uh, about Good Noise before. We've had Good Noise uh, um, a few times on the show, mostly uh, for holiday programming. But uh, we understand that there is an event coming up uh, very soon, in fact, uh, where we uh, once again have the opportunity to hear the choir in action. Right. Yeah, this Saturday, June 2nd. Ah, so coming right up, indeed. Yeah. And what would that uh, event be for our listeners? Oh, um, for If any of our listeners missed the previous show, what is Good Noise? What is... Um... Um, Good Noise, Vancouver Gospel Choir. It's a gospel choir. We've been going... Um, Going strong for 14 years in, a, in Vancouver. Next year's our 15th anniversary season. And uh, it's a group of 80 to 90 singers who love the genre of gospel music um, or music that's related, like R&B and soul music, sort of the same kind of style. So, uh, yeah, it's a community choir of people who, uh, who love to sing gospel music. And uh, the event coming up, is there a theme to it? Is there um, a particular cause for it? Or is it just, you know, we're going to get together and sing some gospel tunes? Well, it's, uh, it's the last concert series of our season, so it's kind of wrapping up our season. But two things. The, the musical theme is, is uh, what's called Jazz Meets Gospel. So it's, it's uh, putting together sort of the genres of, ja- of jazz music and gospel and uh, exploring some of the music that kind of shares some of the similarities between the two. And the other um, <clears throat> aspect or theme, it's what we, we have a program that we call the VIP Young Artist um, Program, Voices in Performance, um, where we ah. support music education for young people. And one of our guest groups um, or guest artists is a high school choir from Holy Cross Regional High School called Vibe Senior Choir. So um, both things, the, the musical genre, jazz and gospel, and then... Um, concert is also in support of promoting music education for young people. That's excellent. That's a, definitely a great uh, statement, and I would like to, to talk about that. But first, I'd like to sort of uh, talk about the jazz uh, gospel fusion, because that's a very interesting uh, genre intersection. Like, the, 
artist I can only think of off the top of my head who sort of tried for that blend was Charles Mingus. Um, yeah. with, uh, with cuts like Better Get It In Your Soul. Yeah. Um, could you explain uh, what, what songs might be indicative of this? What um, sort of um, uh, sound you're going for? Yeah, well, in general, the, the, the two, sort of the major area that both genres share is improvisation. So jazz, of course, lots of improvisation there, and gospel, too. Um, there's often a soloist, right, who improvises over top sort of the you know, the choir singing or the band singing. And uh, so that's kind of a shared musical dynamic between the two. But um, the choir itself for our, our program on Saturday, we're exploring a number of things, um, some of it more stylistic, but some, um, you know, like the Manhattan Transfer vocal jazz. So they made a tune called Operator pretty famous. So we've included that. Um, Duke Ellington, he wrote um, a series of sacred songs that has been performed um, as a unit in concert, which he wrote for us. So we've selected um, a very well-known song of his called Come Sunday yeah. and, uh, and other stylistic things. Uh, there's a great Whitney Houston version with, I think, Chicago Mass Gospel Choir of a tune called I Go to the Rock. And that's got some real swing, um, sort of a jazz swing feel to it. So... You know, we've taken music that that has jazz influences, but we've also gone to uh, some of the jazz composers as well and included some of their music in the concert. Would you say that with the involvement of these uh, these youth choirs, these groups who are very familiar with gospel music, uh, it's uh, a gospel approach to sort of a jazz canon or vice versa? Um, the other way around a little bit, other I way. think, a jazz approach to a gospel canon. Um, in terms of, um, you know, spirituals, things that people would um, sort of think of as more gospel. And there are a lot of jazz artists that um, take those and really add the jazz feel, whether it's swing. Um, we're doing one of the tunes um, called Singing in My Soul, and it kind of has a Django Reinhardt gypsy jazz kind of feel to it. Oh, great. So, yeah. Um, yeah, incorporating all kinds. And then, of course, you look at Louis Armstrong, you know, that New Orleans kind of vibe um, for songs like When the Saints Go Marching In. So going right back to the early days of swing, like with Louis Armstrong, um, sort of a Django Reinhardt approach to one or two tunes, um, yeah, so it's a whole variety. And then so, some more contemporary, and we throw some gospel tunes in there as well. And with the youth engagement, is this, um, do a lot of the kids sort of have this kind of engagement with uh, either genre, really, before they come to the choir, or is this sort of introducing them to it? Um, I think with this choir vibe, there's about 70 students in there. They've done some um, gospel <clears throat> excuse me, gospel and gospel-related music before. I think the jazz approach... Uh, might be something new in terms of the kinds of styles of jazz that that we're introducing. Um, and usually you don't get it sort of a choir of 70 diving into um, jazz repertoire so much. Usually it's a smaller vocal ensemble. So, yeah, I think this is a great opportunity to to introduce that that dynamic. And, of course, we have another guest artist, Daniel Lapp, who's renowned as a, as a jazz musician. So with his playing, um, both his trumpet and... And his fiddle, actually, he's also known as a jazz fiddler. It adds, uh, you know, an even more uh, uh, interesting dynamic to the whole concert. Jazz fiddle, that's interesting. That's not um, uh, an instrument very commonly remarked upon, I think, in, in jazz. Yeah, you'd hear that again, sort of going back to the Django Reinhardt kind of um, 
music, right? If you think of Stefan, uh, oh, right? right? Yeah, so so uh, just touches of that here and there. And then, of course, trumpet, what the instrument he's actually playing is called a flumpet. It's a cross between a flugelhorn and a trumpet. So, um, yeah, all sorts of interesting dynamics in terms of instrumentation and styles and, uh, you know, just sort of mixing it up um, throughout sort of the last, you know, 20th century, all sorts of styles of both gospel and uh, and jazz. That's it, because they're, they're two very, they're very strongly related genres, and jazz at least partially evolved from from gospel, as of many, many genres um, recently. And that's very interesting to me, seeing that, that these are very, um, at this point, they've been, cent- about there's about a century of work in this genre, and it's interesting to me that there is this still, it's still alive for um, young uh, creators, as well as, would you, would you say the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of interest still. I think if people go to, um, you know, like a jazz festival, you hear all kinds of, they don't just program sort of the pure jazz, right? There's always a whole variety of, of music. Even our own jazz festival, there's um, a series called Gospel Comes Home um, at noon hours at St. Andrew's Wesleyan. That's part of the jazz festival. So I think even nowadays for a lot of different concerts and festivals, there there are artists who, um, you know, cross over and mix it up and stuff, which is which is quite typical, I think, um, you know, of music in general now. Anyway, it's not. Um, I think we've we've we haven't lost the sort of pure gospel and the pure jazz, but I think there's a lot of um, interest in just exploring the commonalities of various genres of music. Yeah, certainly. And um, I sort of have a question about that with uh, with regards to the um, uh, sort of involvement of religion, because there it is. It, it, it's a religious genre, yeah. and um, that is a, a large part of the passion behind it is um, related to that. And I was wondering um, how you feel sort of about uh, the religious overtones of the genre in terms of um, in terms of the audience, if the audience is mostly religious or non-denominational, and uh, about uh, the sort of trend in participation with that. Yeah, you know, our audience comes from a wide background. Um, we get a lot of people who come to our concerts that wouldn't necessarily go to church every Sunday, but they love the, you know, the genre of gospel music um, and just the whole history of it and participate, um, you know, either just as people who enjoy it or um, sort of seek out opportunities to hear it because you don't, you don't get a lot of um, uh, gospel music concerts like sort of every week, right, in Vancouver. So um, our audience comes from a wide range. I would say just anecdotally from the people that I speak with, um, there's a wide range for people who are, you know, kind of church-going people regularly to those that, oh, man, this is the one time of year that I sort of, walk through the doors of a church, right, to hear these kinds of concerts. Um, so in terms of audience, yeah, we get a, a really great range of people. Um, and then in terms of those who participate, those in our in our choir and Good Noise, again, it's a whole range of people. Um, it's not required that anybody has to attend a church or have a religious background to sing in the gospel choir, but just have sort of a love and a passion for the music itself and... Um, 
you know, so we have that range. Um, again, people who have maybe grown up with it as something that they've experienced in a church setting, but then also people who've experienced it just as finding a style of music that, that kind of speaks to them on a, you know, on a, on a deeper level, and yet it's not something that um, maybe they, they have chosen to, you know, take on as a personal belief necessarily. Yeah, certainly. So it's it's it does sort of uh, extend to I'd say a, a very wide range of people again because the the music is very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. It, it has that capacity, and I was sort of just just to follow up on that. Like, um, good noise is is very much it's it's got a inter- very interesting place in uh, in Vancouver community, both in the arts community. Uh, and and otherwise with its with its uh, placement there, and I was sort of uh, wondering uh, about that, like with the draw for um, for its participants, like is there is there a sense of community in it? Is and what is what is sort of the the the, the aim you want to encourage with uh, the people who are uh, participating in the choir? Yeah, most definitely a sense of community, and I think with with sort of well-established and long-standing community groups, community choirs, you know, not necessarily like gospel or classical, but any group that's been together for a long time, uh, most definitely that that sense of community really builds and grows and becomes a really, um, I think, sort of a centering dynamic within the ensemble. So you have both, you know, the musical aspect that, that keeps drawing people in, but you also have this, really strong sense of community. Um, I know I read an article once that, that said, you know, if you're moved to a town and you're new to a town and you sing, go find a community choir to sing in because you're immediately going to find friends or like-minded people to hang out with. And I think that's very true for um, good noise, just like it is for a lot of choirs, that, um, that sense of community is what draws people to come in addition to being able to sing and, of course, uh, singing some great music. And that's that's an excellent mission statement. That's certainly something that I, I personally find very appealing. And it's every time we have good noise on, like that's something that I think is really commendable. Like I, I'm not denominational myself, but it's I, I I always admire that sense of community and the real. The it it takes a lot to to put this together, and you know it's I I, I really got to recommend it. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much. So ju- just uh, just a refresher for our audience, where can where and when can we catch the uh, the event? It's this Saturday, June 2nd. We have two concerts, 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. It's at Christchurch Cathedral, George and Berard. Uh, there are advanced tickets available on brownpapertickets.com or on our website, uh, goodnoisevgc.com. You can just Google Good Noise Vancouver Gospel Choir and go to our website. Uh, and there may be tickets at the door if, uh, if we don't sell out in advance. But, uh, yeah, all are welcome to come. It's going to be a great concert. Excellent. All right. It was great to hear from you, Gail. And, um, yeah, I, I might, might see you there. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for having me on the, uh, on the show. Have a good one. Cheers. You too. Take care. Uh, that was Gail Suderman from Good Noise talking to us about this wonderful event. And uh, I, I really do recommend um, just uh, at least uh, trying to take in sort of these gospel performances, even if you are, as I am, non-religious, because it, it is really an amazing and very, uh, very, very relevant form of music. And it that, I think, 
is common. It's just so essential to the way music has evolved sort of in, in the past, in the past century as a result of that tradition. And it's, it's a really amazing work of performance and definitely with the mixture of jazz, like uh, with um, like, again, I'm a big Charles Mingus fan. So that's certainly worth uh, noting and worth checking out to me. Um, when we return, uh, we'll be having an interview with, I, I, I really hope that I am pronouncing his name correctly, Dion Katsasis, uh, for the, uh, Bill Reed Gallery's exhibit on, uh, Haida body art, uh, on, specifically on tattooing, uh, which, yeah, uh, it's, uh, you see, I'm, I'm just interested in that because, you know, it's, y- you can take it with you. <laughs> and, um, yes. Uh, so we'll be back after a momentary PSA slash song break. Um, see you soon. You know what's better than reading a great magazine? Reading a great magazine that also helps you fight poverty. Megaphone Magazine is sold by homeless and low-income vendors on the streets of Vancouver and Victoria. Vendors buy magazines for 75 cents and sell them for $2. It's flexible, low-barrier work for people who may not have access to traditional jobs. Download the Megaphone app to find vendors and buy the magazine, even when you don't have change. An Evening in Damascus returns for its fourth year. Join us on July 31st as this fundraiser brings the soul of Syria to the heart of Vancouver with music, storytelling, dancing, wine, and food. All proceeds go to support queer Syrian refugees. For more information and tickets, visit eveningindamascus.com.
and I'm back. Uh, sorry, stuff. That was uh, that last song was actually the stuff Smith I was talking about earlier. Yeah, it was the Viper. Uh, and yes, yeah, that that was what it was about. No, 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 not not literally being a Viper. Just look it up. It's a good song. Uh, and those other two songs there were uh, the Milk Crate Bandits. The first one was the Milk Crate Bandits as an album sampler. Uh, from In the Neighborhood, and the other song was No Way by Devil in the Woodshack. Um, both of those groups are people, are, are groups I have, uh, I saw actually at the Fox recently uh, before Staggers and Jags came on. If, uh, if we have time, we'll play some Staggers and Jags towards the end of the show. Uh, I meant to shout this out uh, earlier, um, but, uh, but, but uh, let's say... Uh, other, you know, life got in the way. Uh, they're both good groups. Um, Devil in the Woodshack uh, is uh, more of um, has more of a rock edge, more of this blues rock edge um, to them. And really, the um, the thing they kind of they kind of at points remind me of um, uh, what is it? I, uh, just their frontman looks kind of like Andrew McCarthy, which is which is which is a little weird because he's got he really can pull off a growl in his voice. You don't you, you don't expect it. He's he's got um he's got he's got a good voice to him. Um, and uh, uh, the um Milk Crate Bandits are very much a retro jazz group. Um, they sound kind of like um well if they sound kind of like a Woody Allen soundtrack, that's because their banjo player is actually playing a banjo given to him by Woody Allen's banjo player cuz a four-string banjo 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 and got a banjo got no teeth but I got my banjo I was going to make a deliverance joke but I, I actually haven't seen that movie in a long time um a, a four-string banjo is a rhythm instrument used uh and this is it's Milk Crate Bandits are a three-piece band they have an upright bass they have um it's a sax or I believe a clarinet and the the um the four-string banjo, and that gives this very retro, uh, retro jazz feel because uh, you don't hear banjo used a lot, like, like the violin. Really, you don't hear the violin used in jazz frequently. And uh, Stuff Smith, Stuff Smith, you you won't be able to, to see touring uh, because because he's uh, because he's dead, um, which is which is unfortunate because he was a very he was a very great um, jazz musician, and um, I, suffice to say. That um, you know, old timey jazz was was kind of had this kind of grit to it. And the interesting thing about, uh, especially when you think about it regarding gospel, is that for a long time, jazz and blues they had very strong connections to religion. Charles Mingus, for example, was a man who had a uh, very deeply religious thought process about a lot of things. Especially um, some albums like Black Saint and the Sinner Lady are predicated on that imagery. But there's sometimes that with these genres were associated, of course, with uh, with sin, and it's very interesting to look back on it, to look back on the the homage paid within these genres. Like, um, oh, um, one of the first blues guitarists was quite was quite a, an ardent churchgoer. Um, I, I'm just I am looking him up right now. Um, I recently. Recently, not not, um, not Robert Johnson, not not no, d- d- certainly not him. Um, but it was uh, there was this very strong connection of religion with that community, and that really does show in the music. And because that is kind of proliferated, because these genres have been so successful, uh, you get these uh, 
sort of, I don't want to call them hand-down genres, but that is they've evolved a certain way. And this influence is really interesting because you have the influence of the blues. Without the blues, there would be no... um, Obvious, this is a very obvious thing to say, but there'd be no Rolling Stones, there'd be no Eric Clapton, there'd be no Jimmy Page. And this is another thing, too. There was a Fringe show, I think it was last year, one I covered, called Zeppelin is a co- was a cover band. And they were. They were a great cover band, but that was the uh, the case. Um, because they... Uh, they, they really did know how to take these instrumentals or these songs like When the Levee Breaks. The recording history of When the Levee Breaks is a bizarre one, by the way. Like, it was impossible to perform live because they had, like, they recorded John Bonham in, like, a stairwell. Uh, and the, the, the vocals were, something was, the harmonica track, I think, was played in reverse and then overdubbed. So... I don't know what Robert Plant was singing to, but he's Robert Plant, so it's going to be, uh, it's just going to, it it would be awesome, just in general. (laughs) But, um, like, with that, that is a blues standard, as is, um, Gallows Pole, uh, which was originally recorded by Lead Belly, I think? Lead Belly is one of those guys who can be like, the original, it's his. He may not have written it, but the original version, probably him. Um, in most cases, that's true. Uh, Lead Belly, probably most famous to uh, Nirvana fans, uh, or in general for Where Did You Sleep Last Night. Lead Belly, fun story, actually. Mark Lanigan and Kurt Cobain could have recorded an album of Lead Belly covers, but they didn't because they just didn't want to. So both of them recorded Where Did You Sleep Last Night at different points. But God, that's that's a missed opportunity in it. Uh, what, I, what I'd give to, 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 to hear that, the Mark Lanigan and the... Um, Kurt Cobain duet over a bunch of Lead Belly covers. Yeah, well, two white guys from the Pacific Northwest doing a bunch of. Well, if if you got anyone's voice, you can do it. It's it's up there with um, Mark Lanigan. That man, you know, he's got a lot of legitimate pain in his voice. And I guess um, what I'm trying to come around to here is that like these genres are very influential, and without also more direct vocal lineages R&B and soul. And soul actually came around because R&B, which at the time instrumentally sort of evolved from, from jazz, and well, it means rhythm and blues. It was like you had um, a jazz sort of orchestra band, sort of a small jazz group playing a, a simpler sort of bluesier music, and that was R&B. And those songs were um, uh, R&B songs like um became soul songs actually well for those who've seen the movie ray uh you'll know that ray charles arranged soul songs uh the way you would sing r&b because soul songs had that that force to them and this really known very strong uh, melody to them and he figured pretty pretty succinctly too it was a pretty good call in terms of um in terms of what he had to do to uh to sort of drive that through there because songs like uh, I Got a Woman the one that would be in that was the one in Ray um, when he first does that um, was originally a gospel song and that was not well received at the time yeah because um, because it's it's like blues lyrics uh, to a degree and then R and B lyrics later on over over gospel music like singing it like a gospel song and people had issues with that. Um, some, some, sometimes still, there are still issues with that, but there are also a lot of 
people i think this has been the case for a while too like there were people at the time and there are people as it's gone on who've sort of realized the potential for these genres to speak to people and uh, co-opted that uh to to uh co-opted not necessarily co-opted that but definitely taken hints from that to put it through to produce um a music that evolves with the times and that is very, I think it's very true that Ray Charles is a more important performer than Elvis Presley. Like he'd be up there with the Beatles for most influential performers of the uh, of the past century, just for his immense impact on the way uh, music is written, the way it's arranged, uh, for his influence on genres. Because among other things, um, Ray Charles recorded a country and western album. He recorded a uh, orchestral pop album. And he recorded several soul albums, and all of those were these foundational influences. And none of that would exist without the fusion of R&B and gospel that became... I realize I'm not quite talking directly into the microphone. Yeah, yeah, I really got to improve my posture, you know, uh, so as to cut back on the vocal fry. What was I starting out with? Oh, yeah. Um, Expressions Fest. Yeah, yeah, this is not... uh, yeah, yeah, that was that. There's there is a segue here. Um, Expressions Fest, Greek tragedy, blues about also about pain and suffering. Okay, uh, uh, maybe I might need a PSA break between me and that one. But um, Expressions Fest, yeah, it's um, it, it deals with. I saw two plays, both of which are very dark, like 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 fittingly dark to be mentioned in the same sentence with some blues songs. Um, then those were uh, Missing and the Phoenician Women. And Missing is a Greek tragedy written by uh, Euripides. Uh, you can look him up during the PSA break. That'll be coming around very soon. Uh, and you can also... Um, Missing is is a take on Hansel and Gretel. It's um, it's, it's, it's very... Uh, it's, it's a different uh, one. It's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's Hansel and Gretel. It's a very dark take on Hansel and Gretel. Like, horrifically dark. Uh, so that's what we'll be going into after the PSA break. Uh, but before we go into that, there is one more thing I want to remark upon, and that is the Rio Theater. Um, the Rio is not yet saved. Uh, I know that we've been touting Save the Rio a little bit, and it feels like it's a little played out, but it's a lengthy process. You're finagling for real estate in Vancouver, and let, let's face it, you know, that's, that, is a, uh, that is a bit of a fight. So, um, there's a terrific poster with a squirrel, by the way. Um, so this is the copy on that. Join the revolution! Be part of the solution! The Rio needs you! It's all, all capitals. We are making history! If we succeed, the Rio Theater will be a 100% community-owned property! Become an IMPACT! Also in all caps. Micro real estate investor. Okay, that, that's very Vancouver. Find out more about, uh, bit.ly slash Rio invest, hashtag save the Rio, hashtag long live the Rio. Um... And, yeah, um, so, and these are the, the facts that they have here. So they're approved uh, for a mortgage from Van City, but you still got to do the deposit from that, which means they still need about 25% of it, which is about a million bucks uh, by July 7th. And there are some ways uh, we can help. There is a, uh, a front funder, equity crowdfunding campaign. Um, and for, for a minimum of $1,000... Uh, which for most of our, our, our my listeners, uh, certainly for me, would be a little up there. But you can become an equity shareholder uh, and own a piece of it, which is uh, very important for the community ownership. Definitely, in my opinion, worth it. Excuse me. 
I had the hiccups a little bit. Um, and there are fundraisers upcoming, though, which is more of the thing where you can just chip in, which is um, Doug Loves Movies, the Doug Benson movie interruption, this Doug Benson night. Really? I thought it was I don't non-Doug Benson night. Okay, okay. I, I missed that one there. It's, um, I believe they're doing Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. You know, in a post-Fifty Shades of Grey world, I'm going to go ahead and say this. It just in terms of her, not in terms of quality of writing, although that is better, but in terms of her just personal conduct, Stephanie Meyer is really does not deserve a lot of abuse. E.L. James is is kind of a terrible person. Stephanie Meyer, just, just come on, come on. Well, this is way past point of relevancy, but you know she doesn't doesn't deserve the hate. Not a great book, but, you know, it doesn't doesn't deserve hatred. Yeah, but so you can get riffs on this. There is a Cinema Paradiso for Italian Eratigiamonte. Okay, I do speak Italian, so there's no excuse for that. Um, which is a classic movie. And then uh, I believe, is this, is this Office Space? Oh, no, it's a meme. Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, these, these are memes of, of, of um, Lumberg, Bill Lumberg from Office Space, and uh, Yoda. Um uh, yeah, I'm gonna need you to donate some money, okay? And work together, we must. Yeah, I, okay. I haven't worked on my Yoda impression in a while, but but yeah, seriously, yeah. So that's um, get on that. Uh, check that out during our PSA break, uh, and uh, I shall return momentarily. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. When you join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms. Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah blah, blah 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 blah. Explosions. There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help, and all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discord or magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the floor of the Student Union Building. We got all types of crazy sh** for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. All right, no dancing. No dancing. There's a sound.
Laughing like a maniac, he filled my skull with lead. Cupid put a bullet in my brain. He says that silly thing only gets in the way. Yeah, I've got holes in my head, holes in my head. Skull and lead. Yeah, I've got holes in my head. I'm alive. Stop the chamber just for me Cupid's Got a Gun by the Staggers and Jags. Told you I'd fit it in somewhere. <laughs> I, I like that song. That's an evocative title. You know what? That that may that may be that may play into the title of the episode uh, a little bit. So, um, okay, Expression Fest. The Expression Fest uh, is a, a project by Arts Umbrella. Uh, we've covered uh, some of their programming in the past. They're a youth theater group, very uh, engaged, very pro youth theater group. Um, I believe they brought us 13, uh, one of the productions of 13 recently. Um, and this is a four-part, uh, has, has four uh, programs in it, uh, including Oklahoma, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and the ones I saw, The Phoenician Women and Missing, which is the depressing half of that show, um, and also the ones I was very interested in seeing, um, because 
Uh, these are two very different shows. Uh, the Phoenician Women is a tragedy by Euripides. For those unfamiliar, Euripides is one of the big three uh, Greek tragedians, along with Aeschylus and, Aeschylus and Sophocles. Uh, Euripides is probably, of them, one of the uh, the stranger ones, one of the less... What, he was ridiculed in his own time. I'm a huge fan of Aristophanes, and Aristophanes gave him flack for being... Um, uh, and a more of a, a, a transgressive playwright, having uh, his boundaries, his characters push boundaries and taboos. He he um, he, uh, he he made a, he had a psychopathic Medea on stage a long time before Tyler Perry. So there's that. And um, so the Phoenician women uh, on a double bill with Missing. Uh, I, I do want to point this out. Greek theater is very mask heavy. It's a very weird theatrical presentation because you don't you don't really act Greek tragedy so much as you do um, voice the poetry. Greek tragedy was very um, uh, dependent on formula. It was also very dependent on uh, competitive form because these things were performed in sets to be judged. And the Phoenician women is a story that is would have been very commonly known uh, in Greece uh, as the seven. It's a story of uh, actually Aeschylus wrote this as well that we know of the Seven Against Thebes, which is uh, the sons of Oedipus. Yeah, that Oedipus, the literal uh, content warning for profanity, the literal motherfucker. Um, Oedipus um, was a uh, so the the king of Thebes. He figures out his wife is his mother, gouges his eyes out. Uh, now, Oedipus actually had four kids, uh, two daughters and two sons. Uh, his daughters are Antigone uh, and Ismene, and his sons are Polynices and Eteocles. Now, um, Polynices and Eteocles decide to rule Thebes by just switching back and forth. Eteocles gets first shift, and what do you know? He says to, to Polynices, you're not going to be king. Shocking. Um, and... Essentially, Polynices goes to, uh, it's Argos, which is the capital of Mycenae at the time, which was a huge uh, powerhouse city. That's where Agamemnon was from, the, the general uh, in the Trojan War, and raises an army with seven uh, lieutenants who are detailed, these powerful heroes, um, to march on Thebes' seven gates. And Thebes is outnumbered, Eteocles is outnumbered. Um, and it's Jocasta's still alive. Oedipus is still alive, just uh, visually impaired. Uh, and there's different versions of the Oedipus story, and this is a different version. Uh, Jocasta always dies in it. Uh, in, in Sophocles' version, she dies. She hangs herself. Uh, in this one, she actually doesn't. Uh, she's alive at the start of the play, and she's played by Hermione Tankard. Uh, and I want to say Hermione Tankard and Ripley Burton as Oedipus uh, were... Uh, the stronger performers, as long as the chorus deserves um, uh, everyone in the play played the part of the performance, uh, who are the Phoenician women of the title. These are these would be servants or more likely slaves in ancient Greece. And the chorus has a very powerful role in Greek uh, tragedy because, uh, again, it's very upfront and these masked figures. The choreography for the chorus is very good. Um the, the thing about Greek tragedy is that it is uh, very pressing. Like, there's this constant mode of, in, like, there's no way out, basically, because these tragedies were usually written so that there was an argument for both sides to make the, 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 the pain, the tragedy, the literal tragedy of it, very vivid in that there is no clear victor. And this is the truth of Eteocles and Polynices, who... Yeah, there's there's no really point. Spoilers. They die. They kill each other. Yocasta kills herself, and um, the 
Antigone. It also ends with most versions of Creon, who is uh, Joe Katz's brother, so Oedipus's brother-in-law and uncle, uh, is handed the reins of the city by Eteocles and says Polynices cannot be buried. Uh, and everyone, most of the family is really ticked off about this conflict because uh, they still, you know, love their family members and don't want them to kill each other, but they do. Um, and yeah, there's a fairly, they make, there's a political point made in the program about this, about the, the little quote is, uh, leaders arguing over whose button is bigger on Twitter. And I get why that's the case, but that's not, you, you really, um, like the thing is that, um, the war on Thebes, Eteocles and Polynices, they're both about in the wrong. Eteocles, I would say slightly more so for being the instigator. They kill each other. That's a problem solved to me because I'm not sympathetic to, to monarchs. So I, I don't think it's exactly the same because with nuclear war, you take other people with you. When you start a land war, yeah, problem, but it's not mutually assured destruction. It's, it's, it's different. It's a very different comparison and different set of stakes that require different levels of sympathy. So I don't think that comparison was highly, was necessarily warranted, but I see why it was made. I, I, I do see why it was made. And um, now uh, Missing, on the other hand, was a play that was uh, new, entirely, I believe, it was written very recently, and my good lord, this thing is bleak. Um, so it's a contemporary fairy tale about two poor children, uh, Hans so it's Hansel and Gretel. Um, Hansel is sort of a troubled kid, sort of a delinquent. Gretel is a cracked fantasist. Um, their father, who was actually um, the same actor who played Gibson in Mr. Burns um, a little bit ago. I recognize him. He was quite good. Uh, that was um, that was uh, uh, Douglas Ennenberg. Yeah. Um, he was he was a guest performer. Uh, the and their and their stepmother is is the is the Antichrist. Um, the, like, I was wondering if they were going to make it so that the disappearances, but no, it's, it's like you watch this and there's this incredible ble Oh, the dad's an alcoholic too. I forgot to mention that, uh, as an unemployed alcoholic, it is a, uh, a fairy tale for our times. Yeah. That's, that's maybe a way to put it. The interesting thing is that, um, so there's unemployment, alcoholism, uh, poverty, uh, mass pollution, hopelessness. I'm assuming this is set in Appalachia, but the, the um, I think this was written in England because they mentioned things like, like you don't say bin liners in North America. You say um, garbage bags. But they do, the little little quirks like that, I noticed. Um, this was, they both plays use screens very interestingly. In the Phoenician women, it was to act out parts that were not, that were entirely exposition, like in shadow play, which I thought was very clever. Definitely helps um, enliven it up a bit. But in this one, it's to illustrate these uh, dream sequences and these flashbacks, and it is really haunting. It was really creepy, and I really gotta say that, good lord, you know. It's um, it it is it was a haunting play and props for for their presentation of it really because um, the the double bill of these two it is something when the Greek tragedy is the less crushing play in it and and missing doesn't have a sad ending but it is just it, it, it's relevant man like it's relevant the same way hillbilly elegy is still relevant and um. Oh, it's not, not hasn't been a long time since Hillbilly Elegy, I guess. And it's a 
good book. It's worth checking out. Um, but yeah, that was and that was Arts Umbrella. They've done some really good work in the past. They have a really, um, I, I would say, very professional sort of outlook. And it's um, for youth theater, I know. And I, I want to qualify this by saying it is youth theater. And this is all with the exception of Mr. Ennenberg. All of these performers are youth performers, which is very interesting in and of itself. It's very, um, very commendable. So uh, props, props for that. Um and then um, there's one more thing I want to touch on. What was? Oh yeah. Um, on a slightly more jovial note, <laughs> I, I want want to end on a high note here. Uh, there's a film called Leaning Into the Wind um, coming to Van City. Uh, it's about Andy Goldsworthy. Uh, I don't know who that is. Neither do I. Neither did I. I should say. Um, uh, Leaning Into the Wind uh, concerns this landscape artist. That's Andy Goldsworthy. Uh, and it's, I believe it's the second film about him. And it's sort of an interesting discussion um, of this meditation on art as um, as it is in terms of possession, I suppose. And in terms of its... Because landscape art is like... I, I tried with this show to really see different forms of art, to become informed about different forms of art that engage not only just communities I'm not involved with, but also forms that are <clears throat> respiratory problem that are to me, um, not, not inaccessible, but certainly different, like require a different degree of discipline. Like, uh, well, glass blowing is one example. Another example, uh, that I would have uh, liked to cover is, uh, tattooing. Um, yes, technology failed us. And the, uh, leaning into the wind, just strikes me as being an interesting, interesting look at that. So that is at uh, Viff Van City Theater. Uh, you can find tickets on their website if you check it out. Uh, I believe uh, it, its premiere is coming up next week. Uh, next week, yeah, next week, yeah, yeah. This this coming, yeah, next week. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah, leaning into the wind. Uh, directed by Thomas Riedelzimer, by the way. I don't know who he is either. Um, yeah. So that's what we got. A whole lot of music this show. It was a very musical show. We're sort of trying that out for the summer. Um, if you like that, uh, talk to us on Facebook. If you uh, have a lead for us, talk to us there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I got I to gotta say it. Okay. Um, I'm Jake Clark. This is the Arts Report on CITR 11.9 FM. I think I've got enough ums in there for a full show. Um, cheers. <laughs> have a good evening. See you next week.